John chapter 6, starting at verse 60, it says, Therefore many of his disciples, and it's interesting that they use this term, many of his disciples, kind of keep that in the back of your mind. Now, also keep in mind that all apostles are disciples, but not all disciples are apostles. So he had quite a few disciples. A disciple is a learner and says, Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? Wait, or what then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The word that, words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were and who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my father. Verse 66. Now, keep in mind, disciples from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. The reason that the Holy Spirit plays a part in our salvation is because man by himself is unable to understand receive or even believe unto salvation we're told in first corinthians chapter 2 verse 14 that the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of god for they are foolishness to him nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned that's an interesting statement the natural man a better definition of a natural man would be the sensual man and what i mean by the sensual man the man who is guided by his senses such as we all were before Christ. We were guided by that which made us feel good, that which was beneficial to us. Didn't understand the things of the Lord. Didn't understand why people went to church as they went to church or worship or even really God and who Christ was and what was really the difference. But for all of us who are born-again believers, at some point, the Holy Spirit intervened and gave us understanding. It's why we see the necessity in chapter 3 of the Gospel of John for both the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Now, I'm sure you have shared the Word of God with somebody and they kind of looked at you and, huh? You know, to them, it was foolishness. They were the natural man. They weren't open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit that gives us understanding. Me and my past religious life, the church that I attend, it did give readings from the Bible. I didn't have a clue what they were talking about. I was a natural man. But the Holy Spirit, and I saw this in my religious upbringing, and it was around the time, not upbringing, but spiritual life, it was around the time when I got married that I started considering the things that this particular church was telling me and teaching me and trying to put it together, and it just didn't make sense. And God started doing a work in my heart some of the prayers that I would pray. And I prayed all of my life, but they were those pre-arranged prayers. A nun told me that if I prayed what is called the act of contrition every night, I would go to heaven. And so I could pray the act of contrition. I could just spit it out. But one night laying in bed, I'm thinking, what am I doing? Is all I'm doing is is just saying these, these words. And I started to think about the words that I was saying, and I couldn't even remember these words that I've been saying every night all of my life. Because when I took time to focus upon him, it made no sense. And this was the Holy Spirit starting to work on the natural man. He was starting to give me understanding, or at least prepare me for that understanding. 
I understood that just going to a church every Sunday, really in God's sight, was not really making a difference. And so, considered all these things, struggled with all of these things. Don't get me wrong, I didn't put a whole lot of effort into rectifying these things, but there came that time when I sat under the Word of God being taught. The first time I came to a Calvary chapel, and it's then that the Holy Spirit changed me. It's then that the Holy Spirit gave me understanding. So, we see in chapter 3 with Nicodemus that in order for a person to be born again, there must be the Word, there must be the Holy Spirit, but there also must be a response. So, those who Jesus has been confronting are hearing the Word. They're about to make a choice. It's not a good one. They're going to decide not to walk anymore with the Lord. But, no, that tells me they weren't open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now we see various moments of confusion. There's the Word of God, but because there's the unregenerated man, now a couple of these people, such as Nicodemus, I believe, was born again later on, but because of these people being the natural man, there was an understanding, at least not at the moment. In John chapter 3, verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So, I mean, he, he's exaggerating there, but you see the extent of his confusion. Then there was the woman at the well in John chapter 4, verse 15. The woman said to her, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said, I'll give you torrents of living water that you'll never thirst again. And she's of the mindset, well, good, I don't have to bring my jugs down here, fill them up and haul them back and never have to worry about this part of thing. In John chapter 6, verse 42, they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it that he says, I have come down from heaven? And again, the world's the same way. Well, Jesus was a good man, he was a wise prophet, or whatever. They don't understand that this is God who's been sent down from heaven. And then in verse 60 of our scripture here tonight, therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying, when he was talking about the necessity to consume his body, to consume his blood, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? Well, we can understand it because we've got the Holy Spirit. And in verses 51 through 59, we know what Jesus is speaking about. He's speaking about commitment based upon who he is and the words that he has given. The commitment, the commitment is presented in the necessity to consume who Christ is and giving ourselves to him for his purposes. We must be all in. Now comes the point of decision in verses 60 through 66. It's either time to commit or time to walk. Notice, again, you have to understand who Jesus' words are addressed to. Verse 60, it says, the disciples. Verse 67, the apostles. Disciples, they've seen Jesus, and they've heard of some amazing things, and they've seen some amazing things. A lot of these people were probably the people that were fed on the other side of the Sea of Galilee when Jesus fed the 5,000. And so they're following him based upon what he is able to do for them that day. But when he starts speaking these things, the necessity of making that commitment to him, it's a little above them. And we have the apostles, as Jesus just simply, the majority of them, told them to come follow me. They did, and so far they're in. We know that they're going to be all in. 
to such a degree that one day it is going to require their lives of them. And so really what I think we see here is is a cross-section of the church, cross-section of our church, cross-section of the church as a whole. There's disciples. There's a lot of people there with the intent of learning, but there may not be a whole lot of understanding. There's a lot of the natural man or sensual man even in the body of Christ today. Not everybody that sits in the church is born again. In Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the soils, that's speaking of the church. It's not speaking of just the general world. It's speaking of those in the church. And there's only a quarter of them that were right with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus is making his evaluation of the churches in the seven churches of the book of Revelation in chapters 2 and chapter 3, he comes to the church at Laodicea. And in verse 14 of Revelation chapter 3, it won't be on the board, I've added this, it says, and to the angel, or basically he's talking to the leader of the pastor, the messenger of the pastor of the church at Laodicea, right? These things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. We know this to be the Lord Jesus Christ. So Christ is addressing his church, bringing the pastor front and center. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire that you may be rich, white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eyes have that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, or maybe you could look at it as I convict. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Verse 17. Now, that would describe to me perfectly people who believe that they're a Christian just simply because they sit in the church, but there's never been that moment on the timeline of their life. There's never been that commitment to Christ to the degree that they're able to based upon the commitment that Christ has made to them. He says, because you say I am rich, I become wealthy, I guess you could say a child of God, and have need of nothing. And don't you know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked? In one of the pastor's conferences that I attended, I believe that's where I got it from, I got this video on the life of Martin Lloyd-Jones. I've used Martin Lloyd-Jones's commentaries in the past. I've respected his ministry. I've read a few books that he has written. Very godly man, a dynamic preacher. He was born in 1899, died in 1981. He was a preacher in England, and he overtook the pulpit from G. Campbell Morgan. He was used at a very dark time in England. It was during World War II, and God just used him in an amazing way. But as he entered into the pulpit, he noticed something. There was the church of that day. They were, they were starting to lose people. People weren't so interested, and so the church was changing their methodology. They were starting to offer different programs. They were starting to offer entertainment instead of the word. They were presenting plays, and, and they, were, they were going overboard on the music. And again, all with the mindset of trying to attract people. Well, the first thing that Martin Lloyd-Jones did was talk to the board, and they destroyed the stage that they had. They had a, a kind of a portable stage that they would set up for plays and presentations and whatnot. He told them that wasn't going to be needed anymore. And he went up to the pulpit and he taught, I don't remember how many years, but the Word of God. And he just was dedicated to the Word of God and he filled the church. 
He filled the church. At a time when the church was going south, he was looking up. He was looking up to the Lord, and the Lord came down and blessed the church. Now, there was, you could say, a revival. There was many people who had attended church for a long time and became born again. One of the first ones was his wife. His wife sat in a church that was what we would describe as seeker-friendly all of her life, considered herself to be a Christian. Matter of fact, he considered that he had married a Christian. But it was when she would sit, sit in his sermons and, and he would speak of something that they had stopped speaking about, the sinful nature of mankind, she realized that she was a sinner and she never did anything about it. And so if she was a sinner, she realized that I'm still a sinner. And, and something needs to happen in my life. And, and what that was, it was through this man and his rededication to the Word of God, the Holy Spirit used that, and you saw an awesome movement of God during that day. It's something that is sorely needed back in England even today, but needed throughout the world today. That the Holy Spirit would grip the souls of men and women, and we would see a fresh movement of the Holy Spirit. That people would look at the church, such as they looked at the upper room in Acts chapter 2 and basically said, what's that? Because they understood something's going on there. You know, they're, they're just drunk. No, they're not drunk. We know it to be a movement of the Holy Spirit. And so how do you know when the Holy Spirit is moving? When people commit themselves to Christ. They just don't come and partake of Christ or to hear from Christ, but they're all in in the Lord Jesus Christ or to look at what we're talking about in John chapter 6, they consume Christ, and Christ becomes part of who they are. And so, hard to understand, because man, instead of depending upon the Holy Spirit, so many depend upon their opinion on religion. Or maybe it's their traditions, and that's the way we've always done it. Or maybe some other set formula, or latest movement, or whatever it might be, See, whatever is going on, what is the church or called to be the church, it always whittles down to a person by themselves with their Lord. And do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And really, a lot of the other stuff, if you will, other than the preaching of the Word, it just gets in the way of that. It causes people to become comfortable sitting in a pew, such as the wife of Martin Lloyd-Jones, who thought herself right with God, but found out she was a wretched sinner. And if she would have died before her husband started preaching the word to the degree that he did, she would have been lost for all of eternity. And it's an amazing thing when you stand out of a pulpit and you preach the word and your wife gets saved. But it's a good thing. It's a good thing. And we've got to be careful that we never look down our nose at anybody who gets right with Christ because they got right with Christ. That was a movement of the Holy Spirit and it was a personal time and opportunity that will affect them throughout the generations, throughout eternity. So what was it that confused these sensual people? Again, the consumption of Christ that we saw earlier in verse 54, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up that last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. So yeah, that's a hard thing to hear and kind of be able to discern. But again, with the Holy Spirit, we're able to do such things. 
So it's the necessity to believe to the degree that Christ becomes the foundation of the totality of who you are, your intellect, your worldview, how you perceive things. How do I know that abortion is wrong? Because the Bible tells me that life begins in the womb. Before you were born, I formed you. I formed you in the womb of your mother. How do I know that we are sinners? Because the Bible says that we're sinners. I can experience it. I can observe it. I can know it from personal experience. But there's also our physical efforts and everything that I see people doing for the glory of God. Why is there somebody in children's ministry right now ministering to the kids? Because God has called them to do that. And that's just an amazing thing. I mean, your kids are dear to you, but probably not so dear to them, at least not to the magnitude that they're dear to you, but they know that God has called them to do it, and so it's a pleasure for them. And also, how I can now personally perceive myself in humility, which makes absolutely no worldly sense, because the humble, according to the world, get run over. But according to the kingdom of God, those who humble themselves in the sight of God, those are the people who are lifted up. And so I see these things as we consume Christ, how Christ changes the, the totality uh, of who we are. So again, verse 60, Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying, who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, if you remember back in John chapter 2, the last verse, Jesus knew what was inside of all men. Um, when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? Verse 62, what then if you should see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? A verse on the ascension? Well, if you look at it, a verse on the ascension makes no sense. It, you know, it, it just doesn't make any sense of what he's talking about. What if you see the, the, the Son of Man ascend into heaven? Well, just seeing the Son of Man ascend into heaven, that's a mighty works, an amazing thing. Don't get me wrong. But there has to be a response to the Word of God to see man change. So what if he did ascend? Now, I was a child of the 60s. I grew up in the 60s, born in 1957. Whenever something special was going on, Dad would get out the Super 8 camera. I was going to call it a video camera, but it wasn't a video camera. It was a Super 8. Um, I don't even know how to describe it beyond that. If you don't know what it is, it's a good thing. It, it, it was a way for the average person to make silent film, pretty much. And so what we would do is, you know, we would be walking out of Grandma's house on Easter, and Dad would be there and, and filming it, and whatever, and we'd be doing, well, it seems like every year, my brother and I, we'd be doing jumping jacks, because he would say, well, do something, and that's all we knew to do. So, you know, we'd watch that, and it was boring even to ourselves, but at the end, we would run it in reverse. And it was kind of fun. You could see everything go backwards. And that's where we got our entertainment. I had a boring life as I grew up. What Jesus is referring to is, what if we reverse the process? What if we rewind Jesus' earthly ministry, his childhood, and what if he was never born? What if the Son of Man should then just go away? Because remember, he just referred to himself as, as manna from heaven. What if the manna from heaven didn't fall what if there was no what if God stopped the manna from heaven then Israel in the wilderness it would have died and so he's saying well what if I would just go back well we know man would again be without hope and under the sentence of death 
Matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews, he addressed this. Hebrews is written, obviously, to Jewish believers. But in chapter 6, the writer of Hebrews addressed something that was of the utmost importance. Again, keeping in mind that he's writing to Jews. What are the Jews, the unbelieving Jews doing? They're still looking for Messiah. They're actually having Jesus ascend back into heaven, and they've rejected him. And they're still looking for a coming Messiah. And that's what he's talking about here in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection or maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and laying on the hands of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened... And those people back in John chapter 6 obviously are enlightened. Christ is standing right before them and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit is there. They're just not open to the leading of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come if they fall away. Well, what did we see in verse 66? They went, went away. They, they fell away if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance. Now, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to open shame. Now, how is that done? Well, it's to reject Christ upon the cross as your Lord and Savior. If they've done that, how could they possibly be brought to repentance? Based upon what? Based upon who? They've rejected Christ and rejected the cross of Christ. And if you do that, there's no hope. There's no hope at all if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame for the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those whom it is cultivated receives blessings from God. But if, briars, thorns, uh, if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed whose end is to be burned. And so if you reject Christ, you're without hope. And that was Jesus' point back in John chapter 6, verse 62. What if then you should see the Son of Man ascend to where he was? What if the manna should go away? Then what are you going to do? Verse 63, it is the Spirit who gives life and the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. And so it's the Spirit who gives life and the flesh profits nothing. Then you're going back in to try to achieve in the flesh which Christ has come for us to be able to achieve in the Spirit, our right standing with God. Again, the relationship of the Word being the catalyst of the regenerational work of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that gives a person spiritual life, that brings a person from being a sensual person to bring a person into being a spiritual person. The words, the gospel that Jesus speaks, have the power to give us the persona we know of a child of God. And so Paul would write later in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone, that means anyone, who believes for the Jew first and also the Greek. And so if Jesus goes back to the Father as if he never came, then salvation has not been offered to mankind. And so we've got to take note of that, that 
if I reject Christ, and we know the only way we really reject Christ is through unbelief, but I think there's even worse than unbelief, it's apathy. If I reject Christ through sitting after Bible study, after Bible study, after Bible study, and never make it personal in my life if I never consume Christ, if I never make a commitment in my Christian life to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the Word of God, then I'm lost. I'm lost. And, and, and if I'm still waiting for something else or someone else, or whatever it might be, it's never going to come. Because salvation is always about the simplicity of the gospel and belief in Jesus Christ so that our lives would be changed and we would come into the kingdom of God. Somebody brought a man up to me last um, Sunday, and he's been here before, and said, so-and-so, he wants to receive the Lord. And it was just a neat thing, looking into, and this guy's been here time after time after time, quite a few times, but then to look into his eyes and to be able to see just, just that, that look, and I can't describe it, it's just that look of salvation in somebody's eyes, and it's just an amazing thing. He wanted to pray to receive the Lord, but he could tell he already received the Lord. I did pray with him. No, I'm not going to pray with you. You already did it. No, I, I did pray with him. But it, again, it's just an amazing thing when you see somebody who's all in and you see that change of that person. Now, if Jesus, again, goes back to the fathers, then they're lost. What spiritual prophet has ever come from the flesh? And, and even acts of the flesh, even best case scenario, if somebody apart from Christ, if they're baptized, what do they get? They get wet, and that's all. If somebody partakes of communion apart from Christ, what do they get? They get fed, and that's all. It's always through the Word of God and the commitment to the Word of God that we see people get saved. John chapter 1, verse 14, and this is kind of foundational to what Jesus is talking about in this section of Scripture in John chapter 6. But in John chapter 1, verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. So it's here that we see the Lord's meaning behind what he had said in verses 52 through 59. Those hard sayings, I'll just read verse 55, my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. Well, we've been told previously, as we entered into the gospel in chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh. What is the flesh that we are to consume then? It's the Word of God. We need to be a people who feed upon the Word of God. To feed upon the Word of God that's going to bring life, but it's also going to maintain life. Because I know the people that have come and supposedly have made a commitment, and I just say supposedly. I'm not saying they didn't, but you just never know. And they just live this, this life that they're... They're unhealthy, and, and they're just not moving forward in their Christian life. And unfortunately in that, there's always doubt that reigns. And so his flesh, it's the word. It's the word that became flesh that we are con to consume. His blood, his blood speaks of his sacrificial death. His blood speaks of the blood that was spilled at the cross of Christ. And so I am to consume the word and the main the main dynamic of my Christian life needs to be Jesus Christ and Him crucified for me. Apostle Paul, when he went into Corinth, he had enough of Athens and the human intellect, and it was like a, a soiling of his spirit that occurred there. And he came into to Corinth, and he says, I come preaching nothing other than Jesus Christ and Him crucified. 
for two reasons. There's nothing else that they needed, and secondly, there's really nothing else that he had to offer. Verse 64, But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. As they now know what is necessary for a commitment to Christ, those people were unwilling. And that's what it boils down to. They were unwilling to make that commitment. The wording means that there was a mass exodus. See, we'll so look at various works that are going on and we'll evaluate those works based upon numbers. There's a guy on TV who I think he has like 16,000 people a service and he has multiple services and we'll evaluate that. Well, must be a man of God. Look at all the people. Well, crowds aren't necessarily a good thing. Crowds, I'm not saying crowds are bad things either, but crowds here, they're not a good thing. These people, when it came time to it, when it came time to make the commitment, they walked away. There was a mass exodus. In Luke chapter 9, verse 62, but Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. These people, they went back. Now, Christ turns from those people because if you reject Christ, Christ will reject you. But what does he do now? He turns from these disciples and looks to the apostles and he's asking them to evaluate their commitment. Verse 67, then Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away? And when he says go away, he says, do you also want to go find a different way? And he's talking about a different way than him. Remember, we saw that if he should ascend back into heaven. And, and it, it's that which it, it's that which all humanity is looking towards. And even, even the Pope preaches, speaking of other ways. The problem is there is no other way. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. He closed all of those other doors. He, he shut off all of those other ways so that mankind would understand and there would be no doubt. Because keep in mind, the Lord knew back then what some of the proclamations that are made today, such as this way, that way, and whatnot. The Pope has even opened the door for atheists and makes no sense to me. But there is no other way. Any other way is simply foolishness, definitely not the wisdom of God. All roads do lead somewhere, but there's only one that leads to the Lord. Peter, as always, was quick to answer, and he did well here in John chapter 6, verses 68 through 69. But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have, now again, look what he brings in. You have the words. Remember, his flesh is the word. You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, or you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. The contrast between the committed and the uncommitted here. The committed knows, Peter understands this concept. God gave him understanding. He understands that there's nowhere else. That, that Jesus truly is the way. The others, they went looking for another way. The committed knows that their spiritual food, well, Jesus is the source of their spiritual food. Peter understands that it's necessary for him to continue on and be discipled because, well, he doesn't understand the totality of it at that point, 
But at some point, Christ is, gonna, is going to sin and He's going to go forth. And so He needs to understand or at least consume what is being offered His time with Christ. And again, if you would read Peter's epistle, you'll see the, the lessons that were learned that we see uh, what we would consider his failures in the Gospels went a long way towards his learning. What do the others go to? Where do you go when you leave the truth of the Word of God? You go to the smorgasbord of the world. And, and let's, let, let's just not even make the language strong, such as lies, but you're just feeding on all of these untruths. And as you're feeding on this untruths, is all it is is empty calories, and it's that which is eventually going to kill you now i had an email conversation with somebody and they can talk to you afterwards but it's well known i like ice cream and i'd eat ice cream all the time but at some point it's going to kill me it'll it'll surely kill me And, and what i have to feed upon is that which is necessary and beneficial for proper nutrition And again, if you ever leave this church, I beg of you, find a church that preaches the Word of God. I mean, if you leave this church, you probably lost your salvation anyway, but just kidding. But find a church that preaches the Word of God, because without it, surely you'll perish. The committed believe in Jesus for whom He is. Again, Peter's eyes have been opened, and he sees Christ for who he really is. The others were unwilling to receive it. Verses 70 through 71, Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. And so the point here is, even amongst those who are committed, there's the uncommitted. And you can go back to Martin Lloyd-Jones's wife. There's pastor and, and there's pastor's wife. But then come to find out that pastor's wife wasn't really all in. Now, it was her ignorance. It wasn't something she was willfully doing. But nonetheless, we have to search our hearts. And not that I'm going to go search your heart. I, I can't. Only you and God know your heart. But I must truly search my heart to know that I'm all in. But we see even the limitations of man's commitment, it pales in comparison to the commitment of Christ upon the cross. Jesus, even with this great answer, I'm sorry, Jesus, Peter, with this great answer, would deny the Lord three times. He would deny three times that he even knew Jesus Christ. All of them, all of them would forsake him and flee. And then again, one of them was Judas. In John 16, 32, it says, Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, and has now come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is in me. And there's, at the end, go ahead and turn to John chapter 21. We'll close from over there. At the end, there was even seven that went off back to the old life. Instead of following him, they went following after what they used to do. But Jesus, again, he met them where they were at and had a lesson for them. In John chapter 21, verse 18, it says, Most surely I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry to you where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, Follow me. Follow me. Stay committed 
and continue to follow after me. Verse 20, Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved uh, following, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betray, betrays you? Peter, seeing him, or that's what John said, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Well, John was actually doing what he was supposed to do because what did it say? He was following the Lord. It was Peter that had led them all astray. Peter that had led them to the, to the fishing hole there, to the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus is addressing the one who is to be the leader, the one who's to be responsible. You follow me. Because it's a biblical concept that as I follow Christ, those who look to me for leadership, and I'm not really talking about myself as a pastor, although it's included in that, but just those less mature that look to me, they'll follow as well. And so as I'm faithful to follow Christ, is to consume Christ, however it is that you want to state it, others will be following after as well. They'll see my example and they'll seek after Christ also. In John chapter 6, verse 66, literal definition, it says, from this time many of his disciples went away backward and were no more committed to walking with him. We call that backsliding. Backsliding. Lord, that that would never happen with us. That we would be dedicated and following. Yeah, sometimes I'm going to lag behind. I'm not always going to be the man that God has called me to be. I'm not going to always be right there at the side. Sometimes I may even step ahead of Christ. But Lord, may I always be in your proximity. May I always be in the proximity of your correction. May I always be in the proximity of your blessings. And may I always be in the proximity of just who you are, Father, that your glory would fill my life, that your glory would fill this church, that the glory would fill us to overflowing, that it would spill out into the community. And so many followed him no more, but a few did follow. And that's all it takes. It just takes the dedicated few who will follow Christ, remain faithful. And what did God do? He changed the world on its ear. Father, we pray that you would turn our world on its ear as well, that you would turn it upside down even, Father, that, Lord, as everybody is doing what is right in their own sight and choosing their own way, they've gone astray, I just pray, Father, that through our dedication to following you, we would see lives changed, and, Father, we would see revival come even upon this land. And Father, I, I do pray that there is revival across this nation, but you have given us influence in South Ontario. And I pray, Father, that there would be revival in South Ontario. I pray, Father, that it would be built upon just the simple things that you have told us to do, that we would understand that not everybody can do everything, but we can do our part. And Father, may we be found faithful in doing the part that you have given us. And so, Lord, we just thank you for this evening. Once again, we thank you, Lord, that we were able to feast upon your word. I pray that you would build us up and that you would strengthen us for your glory, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please? A couple of announcements, things that are coming up. This Sunday, we're going to be celebrating communion, and it is going to be Youth Day Women of the Cross is starting a small series of summer studies on prayer that's going to be this Tuesday night at 7, this Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. 
And then on Saturday, the 21st, we're going to be having a men's breakfast. I encourage you to get signed up for that so we can see all who are coming. Sunday morning, we're back in 2 Timothy. Sunday evening, we're back in the book of Isaiah. God bless you guys. Have a pleasant rest of the week.